Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be in uh, Colossians 4 this morning. And uh, God willing, we'll be wrapping up uh, this, uh, this book here within the month uh, or so. Um, and I hope it's, been a, hope it's been a help to you spiritually, uh, that uh, you've gleaned some things from it that could help you mature uh, in your faith walk with Jesus, because that's what all this is about. It's about us becoming more and more mature in Jesus Christ. Um, if you're not growing spiritually... Um, there's an issue, there's a problem there, and we need to be growing up, growing up in the Lord. And um, in this last chapter, we're, we're going to focus on what our mission is as commanded by our Lord Jesus, and that really is to go and make disciples. That's the last thing that our Lord left with us in uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, and he says, go into all the world and make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing is making disciples. And when you look at this last chapter here in Colossians, it, it looks like on the surface just a lot, of, a lot of random thoughts and some say hello to this person, this person over here greets you, and hey, don't forget to do this. It looks like a lot of random thoughts on the surface. But if you really look at what uh, Paul is saying here, He's reminding us of the commission that we've all been commissioned to, and that is to go and make disciples. And he, leading by example, uh, gives us the example and says, look, this is what I'm doing, and I'm commissioning you, I'm encouraging you uh, to continue on and do the same. And so Paul wants to comment uh, about how we go about doing that uh, in this uh, last uh, few words here. Uh, to remind us of this mission that we've all been tasked in doing. You know, God places Christians in a family, a company, a school, or a workplace to be a light to the world. Uh, We remember what Jesus had to say about this in Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. And the scripture is really full of people that God placed within different context in life, different spheres of life, that wherever God placed them, they, in a sense, became a light, and they did what they were commissioned to do, and that was to make disciples. Um, we, we see this throughout all of Scripture in, in different aspects. And that mission of making disciples, about going into all the world and making disciples, I believe it begins with prayer. And that's what Paul really wants to focus in on this morning. That's what we're going to look at this morning about prayer, having missional prayers or being mission-minded in our prayers that we remember what the task is supposed to be about. And this command to pray is not just a general command to pray, but it has focus. Uh, There's an intensity about it. Uh, they're, they're, it's very pointed in what Paul has to say about how we are to pray and what specifically we should be praying for in going and making disciples. You know, the truth is that many of our prayers are like shooting an arrow aimlessly, just 
hoping, hoping that we are going to hit something somewhere, somehow. And we got to be very particular in what we're praying and how we are praying as what Paul talks about here. Now, if you're thinking, I really fall short of when it comes to my prayer life, welcome to the club. Uh, me and the other elders are the club presidents, okay? Um, you're not alone in this. And I believe this is an aspect of our spiritual growth that we all could be growing in. We could all be strengthening ourselves in and learning more how we can actually be mission-minded uh, in our prayers. And it's not my aim today to make you feel guilty or lousy in how you pray, but rather encourage you to pray, how to pray and what to pray for. My aim is that we might remember that we are called to partner in ministry through praying for open doors, praying for the proclamation of the word of God, and praying for us to speak the gospel clearly to those God has placed in our sphere of influence. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Our mission of making disciples begins with prayer. Our mission of making disciples begins with prayer. So let's read our text here, Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 2 all the way through verse number 4. Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So I want to show you first thing here. If we're going to be mission-minded in our prayers, be mission-minded by being devoted to prayer. Notice what Paul says here, the words that he uses. He says, continue, continue, be devoted. Don't stop, continue. If you have stopped, start up again. There needs to be a continuation of this. And so if we're going to be mission-minded for the purpose of making disciples, it's necessary that we pray. Paul, that's why Paul writes, continue steadfastly, in prayer. You see, devotion in prayer is a characteristic of a mission-driven life. Throughout the Gospels, Christ taught the disciples the very importance of prayer. On several occasions, it seems that he taught them the Lord's Prayer, as we see in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and also Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. He also taught them the importance of faith in their prayers in Matthew 17, 20. He focused on prayer as he taught them because he knew that without prayer, it would be impossible to fulfill the Great Commission. The kingdom of God comes through prayer. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus taught us? He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so we need to be praying for that that God would work in people's lives as he brings his kingdom to this earth. Therefore, if we are going to be missional Christians and making disciples, it is necessary for us to develop a devotion to prayer. 
We saw this both with the early church and the disciples and the apostles who turned the world upside down. Look at what Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. As the early church was devoted to prayer, God added to their number. Acts chapter 2 verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily as such should be saved. You see, prayer was essential to the early church that spread the word of God throughout Israel and the Gentile world. It was the same with the apostles in Acts chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. It says, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. During the early church at this time in the book of Acts, the church was just growing exponentially and the widows were being neglected within the church. They weren't being taken care of. And so what they said is they say, hey, listen, we need to find some guys that can take this workload so that way we can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So what does it mean to be devoted to prayer? Well, let's apply the word devoted to some other aspect of a person's life. If we said a person was a devoted sports fan, what would that mean? My wife and I used to live in Ohio, and that is the land of the Buckeyes, which is a worthless nut. (laughs) We had some pretty devoted fans in Ohio. Uh, There was one guy who was the self-proclaimed Buckeye man. His name was Larry Loki, and he lived in Urbana. And you would see him all decked out in his garb and, yeah. Some really devoted fan there. You know, no doubt this evening there's going to be some devoted fans that are going to be hoping that their specific team uh, wins. Um, These fans, they know stats, they know coaches, they know the players. They know if the other team is cheating or not. They give a lot of time knowing when their team is playing. They may have a hat, a jersey, or even other sport-themed memorabilia. If we said this sports fan was devoted, then that means that this fan is not a fair-weathered fan. They're devoted all the time, win or lose. They're in it, always. They're always rooting for their specific team. They're devoted. In 2013, Scott E. Insminger. A Cleveland Browns fan died at the age of 55 on July 4th. In his obituary, it said that Insminger was an accomplished musician, loved playing the guitar, and was a member of the old Fogies band. He was also, per his obituary in the Columbus Dispatch, a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan and season ticket holder. Scott wasn't just your average Browns fan. He apparently wrote a song each year about the Browns, which he sent to the team, along with advice about how to run the organization. He was such a big Browns fan that the family encouraged everyone attending his funeral to wear clothes supporting the team. But here's the real kicker. He wanted his pallbearers to be Browns fans as well, 
In his request for his funeral arrangements, he said he respectfully requests six Cleveland Browns pallbearers so the Browns can let him down one last time. (laughs) True story. This man was a devoted fan. It didn't matter if they won or lost, he was devoted. This is very similar to what Paul is calling Christians to be in their prayer lives. Oftentimes, Christians are like fair weather fans, except for the fact that they only pray when it's bad weather. We should be continuing in prayer all the time, being devoted, praying continually, because we need to be mission-minded in making disciples. Paul is saying, be devoted, be continuing in prayer. It has the connotation of perseverance in prayer. In fact, that phrase, continue or devote yourself, is often used in connection with prayer. Romans 12, 12, Paul says that we should be rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted to prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, Paul uses the word to persevere when he commands us to pray with all perseverance and petition for the saints. Paul cites his own example of persistent prayer in Colossians 1, 3 where he says that we are praying always for you. He adds in Colossians 1.9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And referring his prayers to them, he adds in Colossians 2.1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And he mentions in Colossians 4.12 that Epaphras was always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul gives the brief command, pray without ceasing. Now, without ceasing does not mean that praying nonstop every minute of the day. Rather, it's the idea of coming back to it, coming back to it. It, the, The idea is like a nagging cough. It comes back, it comes back. It's a nagging cough. That's the idea of persisting in prayer. Jesus taught persistent prayer in two humorous parables, if you can remember, in Luke 11, 5 through 8. A guy and his family are in bed at midnight. His neighbor comes by, and he's got some company, and he needs some food. And he goes over there, starts banging on the door. Hey, hey, I need some stuff. And it's, I mean, it's midnight. It's not a time that you normally get up and start having conversations with people, right? I mean, if somebody came to your door at midnight, I mean, what would you think? Be like, "Uh uh-oh, this is a little strange and weird, right? But this guy needed something, so he came persistently seeking something. And what did the man do? He's, because of his, his, his need, his great need, he said, take whatever you need. I, I want to go back to bed. Whatever you need. And he tells us the story also in uh, Luke 18, 1 through 8, about Christ describing a widow who continued to come to an unjust judge asking for justice, and consistently the judge denied her justice. However, even though this widow kept getting refused, she consistently, consistently went back to the judge again and again and again and again and again. You know what that is? The squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? 
And because of this, he finally goes, ah, whatever you need, fine, here, 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 take it. I'll give you justice. The point of both parables is not that God is unwilling or unconcerned about our needs, but rather this is the type of prayer we must have to get things accomplished on this earth. Persistent, devoted, continually persevering in our prayer. We must pray when it looks like God is not answering. We must pray when things look like they are at their worst. We must pray even when we feel like giving up. This is the important thing if we are going to be mission-minded in our prayers. Notice two things about this devotion and prayer is what he says here. Number one, devoted prayer is watchful. Continue in prayer, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. What does it mean to be watchful? What does it mean to be watchful in prayer? The word watchful can be translated also as keeping alert. It's often used in the context of mentioning our adversary, the devil, who tells us that he is walking about like a roaring lion. Listen to what 1 Peter says about this on how to avoid becoming a lion's lunch. He says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. When my wife and I lived in uh, Ohio there, in 2011, uh, in Zanesville, Ohio, there was a man who owned, I believe it was like 50, Six exotic wild animals that included things such as wolves, tigers, lions, uh, some things very exotic. Well, the man ended up committing suicide, but before he did that, he let these animals loose there in the city of Zanesville. And these animals were out, I believe there was like 53 of them that were out roaming around in the area. Uh, there were news things going on saying, hey, uh, school's canceled. You're not going to school today, stay inside, don't go outside because these animals are out on loose. They had to actually have people come in to hunt these animals to put them down. And so when we think about that, like, that's being watchful, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine if we got a news, uh, a news story maybe today or we got a text message or some, some kind of news that said, hey, uh, listen, uh, there's a wild uh, lion that's uh, loose and last place it was spotted was on County Road 20 and County Road 22. Be on the lookout. I'm sure probably none of us in here would probably be like, yeah, let's just go outside and yeah, hey, yeah, church, yeah, no problem. Let's, let's just leave right now. We'd probably all just maybe hang out in here for a little while. None of us surely aren't going to send our children out and say, yeah, go play on the playground. No problem whatsoever, right? No, we wouldn't do that. We would be very watchful because there was danger around. Paul says we need to continue in prayer being watchful. A dangerous lion is on the loose. Prayer is how we stay in the alert being watchful of the dangers that are going on. And I would even say that even within the context of Colossians, one of the dangers that was going on, even in this church, was that of false teaching, false doctrine. And Paul's saying, you need to be watchful because there's danger about. Be watchful of these things. Jesus also tells us to be on the alert regarding his second coming in Matthew 24, 
verse 42 and 25, verse 13. In the garden just before his arrest, he told the disciples in Matthew 26, 41, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, many people think that prayer is about getting our will done on earth. It's not. Prayer is partnering with God to get his will accomplished on earth. Not not my will, but your will be done, right? That's what Jesus prayed. And so we are partnering together with God, devotion and prayer, keeping watchful, recognizing, hey, I don't need to be sidetracked by all this other stuff because there is a bigger picture about this And that is that we are making disciples. And where does that begin? It begins in our prayer life. What happens when Christians are not awake, alert, and vigilant? Listen to what Ezekiel 22.30 has to say about this. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. When Christians are not vigilant or alert, we miss opportunities to stand in the gap. We miss the opportunities that God has for us to actually be his hands, his feet on this earth. And so we need to be devoted in prayer, being watchful in prayer of the things that we're doing. So we need to be vigilant. If we're going to be missional, we must be vigilant. We must be on the lookout. Secondly, look at this, what prayer is about being devoted to prayer. Devoted prayer is thankful. Thankfulness draws us into the very throne room of God is what Psalms 22.3 says. That he he inhabits the praises of his people. God's presence comes down where praise and thanksgiving are going up. So we need to be thankful in our prayers. That's what Paul says here. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so thanksgiving is the atmosphere of true prayer. To pray thankfully is to pray in faith, especially when our circumstances often do not seem to be in our favor can't tell you how many times I've seen it over and over that people are struggling in their life and they, they uh, instead, of, instead of rather praying about a situation, they're hoping that there might be some easy fix in all of this, right? God, God wants us to come to him in prayer and be thankful in our prayer even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances that we are facing in life. Because God knows that there's something that happens when we are thankful in prayer. Because we take our eyes off of me, and where do we put our eyes on? Him. It no longer becomes about me and my hardships and my troubles. Now it becomes about Him, that I would seek to glorify Him in everything that I do. And so we need to be thankful in our prayers. Here's the second thing. Be mission-minded by praying specifically. If we're going to have mission-minded prayers, we need to pray specifically. Notice two things that Paul asked specifically to be prayed for. Notice, number one, pray for those on the front lines. He says, at the same time, pray also for us. 
Pray for us. Who's us? Paul's writing this letter, and he's saying, pray for us. Well, he then begins to list several of these men that have been with him and have helped him accomplish what God has given him to do. He lists, there's Paul, there's Timothy, there's Tychicus, there's Aristarchus, there's Epaphras, there's Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Justice. These men were on the front lines. These men were engaged full-time in spreading the gospel. When we pray, we need to pray for those who are on the front lines spreading the gospel, but it also includes all believers that we all would keep our focus on the task that is before us to spread the gospel, to go and make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If we're going to be missional Christians, we need to be praying specifically for those that are on the front lines, but we also need to be praying for others, others within the context of our local body. I mean, think about this. You work a certain place, a certain time that nobody else works. You work around people that nobody else works around. God has placed you in that particular location. He's placed you in a particular street on a particular neighborhood to meet particular neighbors. God has all of this planned out in order for you to proclaim Christ to others, to be missional in what you're doing, to making disciples. And so we need to be praying. He says, pray for us. You know, I believe that you ought to be getting a church directory. Pray for each person to be effective as a witness for his or her circle of friends. Find out what missions or ministries that we support. Do you know what missions or ministries this church supports? If you don't, you need to find out. You need to find out what their names are. You need to find out who's running the organization. And you need to be praying for them. Because they are on the front lines. They are in the trenches doing the dirty work, doing the hard work. And you need to be praying for them. If, you, if they have an email list of uh, some of the missions or ministries that we support, you ought to find out what that uh, email thing is and be a part of it so you can start getting weekly or monthly updates from them. So you can find out what their requests are so that that way you can pray for them. You see, we cannot, we cannot approach missions, we cannot approach this type of stuff with blind eyes. We have, to, we have to know what we're doing here. We have to know what we're trying to accomplish. And you need to be part of that, and your prayers can be a great part of that as you pray for others. Paul says, pray for us. Pray for us. Can you imagine being part of this church, and maybe you're getting this letter, and Paul says, pray for us, and you're like, yeah, all right, Paul, yeah, we'll pray for you. Sure thing, man. Lord, please help Paul. Amen. Paul was, Paul was banking on the fact that these people were going to be praying for him, pouring out their heart before God for them. And so we ought to be praying. Secondly, pray for doors to be open for the gospel. Another way that we should be praying specifically is praying for open doors. Now, I love this. <laughs> While Paul was in prison... He was praying for an open door. Now, he wasn't praying that the door would just automatically just be like, cha-ching. Now, that did happen. We saw that in the book of Acts, right? They're there in the prison, and, and the, the chains fall off. And, I mean, they just walk out, right? But Paul's under house arrest. 
And he sends his prayer letter to this church, and he's telling them, and he says, pray for an open door. Pray for an open door. If, if it was you and I that was in prison, you know what we'd be asking prayer for? Pray that I'll just get out of here as soon as possible. Paul didn't pray that. He wasn't asking prayer for that. He was praying for an open door. Listen to what he says in Colossians 4.3. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Not open doors to get out of prison, but a door for the word. When Paul was in prison, he wrote to the church at Philippi. Listen to how Paul viewed his situation while in prison. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ because of my chains. Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. See, while Paul was under house arrest in Rome, scores of Christians started to make pilgrimage to go and see him. We see that in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 through 31. They listened to him preach and share his testimony every day. And even people in the palace of Caesar accepted Christ, is what Philippians 4.22 tells us. Christians throughout Rome became emboldened to share the word of God in spite of persecution, as what we just read in Philippians 1.14. And even greater, while in prison, Paul wrote four letters Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, which God included in the canon, and they are still being used to reach the world today. This is an open door that Paul was praying for. He said, pray for us. Pray that God would open a door for the word to go forth. What open doors are we praying for? Are we praying for open doors? As a church collectively, if we know that we are supporting certain missions or, or ministries, are we specifically praying for open doors for them? Why not, if we're not? That's something we need to be concerned about and be doing. John Piper points out that one of our major problems with prayer is that we have made it a domestic intercom to call for refreshments from the butler rather than a wartime walkie-talkie to call in support for the troops. In one of his sermons on prayer from Colossians, he puts it like this. Here's the way to picture what is going on here. Paul and Timothy and Aristarchus and Epaphras are a unique team of stormtroopers in the spiritual battle to recapture the hearts of men for God. They have made a strike at the enemy lines and met a tremendous counterforce. Paul and Aristarchus are prisoners of war, and it looks as though the enemy has a tactical victory in his pocket. But Paul manages to smuggle a letter out of the prison camp to some fellow soldier stationed to the rear. That's the Colossians. In the letter, he asks them to get on their walkie-talkie, call command headquarters, and ask headquarters to fire a missile that will blast open a door in the prison wall and in the enemy's front line so that Paul and his squad can get on with their mission to release people from the power of Satan and bring them to God. You see, praying for God's kingdom to expand involves praying. It involves us being a part of what God is doing and saying, God, I'm on board with you and I'm going to pray for open doors that this would work out in these situations. 
Are you praying for open doors in your own life? Are you asking for open doors to be a light in your workplace or with your family? Are you asking for open doors for the church to reach more people, to send out labors into his harvest? Notice Paul doesn't just say open doors, but open doors for the word. Devoted prayer must be consumed with praying for the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is what we have. It is the sword of the Spirit. Jesus said, man should not live by, by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Folks, that's what we have. We have the word of God. And coupled together with the Holy Spirit, it is a powerful force that God uses to, to work in people's lives. And so we need to be praying this way, praying that God would open doors for the word of God to proclaim it. So let's be faithful in praying for open doors for the word to go forth. Here's the last thing. The goal of mission-minded prayers, the goal of this. What should be the goal of our prayers? It should all come down to be sharing the gospel to making disciples. That's the whole point of it. Look what Paul says again. I love the way Paul writes this in this verse, okay? He's asking for prayer for open doors for the word of God to go forth. And the goal is that the mystery of Christ may be declared. He says, to declare the mystery of Christ. I want these open doors so that I may declare the mystery of Christ. Do you find that interesting? I mean, this is Paul we're talking about. He's written a majority of the New Testament. He's planted several churches. And he's asking for prayer to be able to declare the mystery of Christ. And that he would be very clear in presenting the gospel. Because notice what he says in verse 4. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. The mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. What does that mean? What is the mystery of Christ? He does not mean that the gospel is mysterious or difficult to understand. Rather, mystery refers to a truth that was previously unknown but now has been revealed. It can't be known by human wisdom, but only by God's Spirit. It especially referred to the truth that salvation, which had previously been revealed only to the Jews, was now available to the Gentiles, who now can enjoy right standing and equal access to God through faith in Christ. He made mention of this in Ephesians 2.11 uh, all the way through Ephesians 3.7. And we saw it earlier also in uh, Colossians uh, 1. Uh, verses uh, 26 and 27, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if we are to declare the gospel clearly, we're to be declaring the mystery of Christ clearly, we better have a good understanding of what the gospel really is. Can you clearly speak the gospel to somebody? 
Could you give the gospel to somebody? Can you say this is what the gospel is? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news. In order to get to the good news, we must know what the bad news is first. Here's the bad news. Our sins have alienated us from God. And because he is holy and just, God cannot just brush away our sins. He can't just merely say, well, you know, you're a good guy and I, I really like you and everything. And I know you got some problems, but I tell you what, I'm just going to turn a blind eye to it. And we'll just let bygones be bygones and hey, que sera, sera. No, he doesn't do that, right? The penalty must be paid. Sin has a penalty and that penalty is death. And so that penalty is eternal separation from God forever. No amount of good works can pay that penalty. Church membership or spiritual activities cannot pay the penalty. Being moral or obeying the Ten Commandments can't pay that penalty. But what we cannot do, God did. And what did God do? In love, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God, fully man. He lived in a perfect obedience to the Father And on the cross, Jesus gave his life as a substitutionary death in our place. Jesus bore the wrath of God for us. Jesus took the penalty of death for us. What we rightly deserved, Jesus took. And so God poured out his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, right, Christ died for us us. And after Jesus' death and burial, God raised Jesus from the dead and now offers a full pardon of their sins and eternal life to every sinner who will repent from their sin, turn from their sin, and believe in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. That's all clearly taught in Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Ephesians 2.8-9, Romans 4.4-5, and John 3.16. And so when we pray, I don't believe there's anything wrong with praying for our personal needs, right? Even Jesus told us about that, right? Bread, clothing, shelter, right? We pray for those things, uh, for forgiveness, personal holiness. But before we bring these needs to God in prayer, we should pray as what Matthew six ten tells us, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. Now next week, we're going to be discussing a little bit more about this sharing the gospel, right? Talking about the gospel, what the gospel is, and actually how to share it, because that's what Paul says, right? That I may make it clear how I ought to speak. And so if we're going to be missional-minded believers, and we are going to be doing what Christ has commanded us to do in making disciples, we need to know how we're going to do this. And believe it or not, Paul actually talks about these things. So uh, next week, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But know and pray for the needs of our church, missions, ministries, we support. I encourage you to grab uh, church directory, pray through those uh, people for people in our church, but also pray for our missions, ministries. If you don't know what they are, get on the church website. You can find them all on there. Make a list of them. Start looking into them. What do they, what do, they do? Who are these people, right? Start praying for them. Get on their email list and do that, okay? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.